And just want to warn you, this episode contains explicit language. But the one thing that always got me through was uh, that I was never scared because I took a choice when I said I wanted to do this and maybe I'll end up poor, but as long as I can do this, and that's what I love, I can never be unhappy. I can never be, um, it's, it can never get worse than this right now. It can only get better. And yeah. so that's what uh, I think a lot of artists know this feeling. That's where you start to get free. All right, welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. And today we have Gordon N. Dominic, and he's the singer for Ripe and Ruin. Uh, welcome to the show today, Gordon. Thanks for having me. Um, so could you tell listeners a little bit about who you are and uh, what you guys do? Yeah, we, so um, we're a band from Hamburg, Germany. Um, we play alternative rock. Thank good. It's something between, um, some listeners might know it's something between Biffy Clyro, the Foo Fighters, uh, maybe a little Queens of the Stone Age, whatever you like. Okay, nice. Uh, and how did you first get involved in music? Um, personally? Yeah. Uh, it started off when I was uh, four. Uh, I was kind of a weird child. And uh, so I asked my mother if I, that, that I wanted to play uh, piano. And she actually uh, got me one. Uh, it's, it's not that I uh, grew up very rich or something. Uh, money was always tight, but uh, she said to my dad, that's uh, a special kid. And if he wants to have a piano, then he'll, he shall have one. And so this all started when I was four playing piano, yeah. And so what did those early interactions with the piano look like? Uh, it was, it was just a mess. I had a, <laughs> I had a Russian teacher, uh, and her name, uh, God bless her, was, uh, Olga Sagalov, I think. And she had a, a, a typical Russian attitude to her, um, to her ways of teaching. It was always very strict. And she would always say, look up, look up, look on the notes. Was never allowed to look down on my fingers, uh, while playing, um, very strict regime that she had installed there, yeah, stuck with it. There were many times I wanted to quit, but my mom always said, you wanted this, this was your choice, and you're not quitting. So, yeah. Uh, how many years did yeah. you stick with that training? Uh, I think probably 12 to 13 years, I guess. Um, I, I mean, I'm still playing, but um, with her. And yeah, uh, my mom always said, I, there, were, there have been a lot of times where I wanted to quit, uh, especially when I hit that, uh, especially when I hit puberty, you're more into girls than into <laughs> playing piano. And, but she said, no, man, you're not quitting on this. It was your choice and you're going to stick with it. Yeah, but I'm still, still grateful for that. So. Yeah. so fair to say, based on what you said about your, your teacher, that she had you doing very structured practice. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Very, I, I didn't think that it was structured it was just strict mm. so she she would always tell me to just play up the, the notes 
no um, no improvising, no uh, free music. It was just Russian classic all the time. Wow. And so how yeah. many hours a day were you practicing at this point? In time? Uh, depended, but uh, from four to five hours, I think. Wow. Yeah, in, but in comparison to people who really want to learn the piano and to, are really practicing, that's not a lot. There are some three and four year old children that are practicing like eight hours a day. Wow. So what happens next? What happened next was uh, I learned the guitar because I uh, realized that you can um, pick up your piano and uh, bring it to the park. <laughs> uh, where the girls are so <laughs> suddenly I got really into guitar playing uh, I think it was the the one magical moment I've, uh, I saw Jimi Hendrix live at Monterey um, with him wearing this huge uh, pink uh, feather scarf and playing guitar like a madman I was like sitting there in front of the uh, in front of the television I was like oh my god what is this I want to do this. I, this this is what I want to do so bad. I never actually um, got so good at playing guitar that I can say that I'll be the next Hendrix, but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you said, um, how old were you at this point when you were saying uh, I wanted to do this? I think like 14 or 15 years old. And any particular emotion yeah. you were experiencing? Again? Did you experience any particular emotions when you saw Hendrix playing that way? Uh, it was everything at once. I was just, I was amazed, stunned, uh, a little scared of what he was doing. I've never had seen anything like it. So I kind of had the same experience uh, as the crowd back in the days. I mean, it was a recording way before I was born. Uh, but I think it was a real... Uh, it was it was um yeah it was a real real moment just like just like the guys that have uh, that saw the the concert back in the days just blown away amazed by his raw talent that he was um yeah the, the way he was playing i mean you know him it's, it's magical yeah. yeah so when you got the guitar is he is his music what you started with i, I tried but <laughs> <laughs> i mean try picking up a guitar and uh, starting off with Hendrix. It doesn't work that way. No, I made my way through chords uh, and through a lot of blues. And um, later, this whole Hendrix bluesy thing came into being. Yeah. Were you taking lessons from someone with the guitar as actually, well? Actually not. Actually not. I was kind of done with uh, lessons because I wanted to do uh, my own thing and uh, lessons in, in my head were always very strict and I couldn't always do what I wanted to do and always had to learn and wasn't that much fun. So I just uh, taught it myself. So, if you have um, the, the piano and you can just imagine which notes are um, similar uh, on the guitar. So yeah, it was actually kind of easy to to learn in theory not not practically because playing the guitar hurts yeah it, it really hurts when you start it hurts your fingers it hurts your wrists because you're always holding it wrong i was like oh, come on let me get that uh. 
<laughs> and so how much do you think that early strict piano practice helped with that transition? Uh, it helped a lot. It definitely helped a lot. Rhythmically, harmonically, and in every way. Yeah. Not that I liked it, but it helped. Yeah. So you're uh, learning the blues, you're taking your guitar to the park uh, to impress people. Uh, what happens next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people <laughs> I would especially say just the girls yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but but then uh, next came uh, I had a little band um, I think like every school has this um, this band project probably like there's always a, a, a band in the school uh, they have a small room where where there's a uh, where there are a bunch of uh, shitty instruments sorry <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're just cheap and it's just rubbish, but you, you don't know what you're doing, so it's okay. And I had this band and we had a girl singer and I always hated the way she was singing. I always, always hated it. I was playing guitar and I would always turn, uh, turn up the amp a little louder so that I don't have to hear her that much. Um, and one day I told her that she was singing a line wrong and she got kind of mad and told me yeah why don't you do it then and that's kind of the start because then i did and everybody liked it way better than what she was doing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was probably when i was yeah 15 16 shortly after i started playing guitar yeah so at this point and and i guess up to this point too what was your motivation for playing these instruments and then starting singing? I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to remember because my, my first motivation was when I was four, I wanted to play the piano. I, I don't, I'm not really able to, to um, remember the exact emotion or the exact moment mm -hmm. I had uh, when this uh, happened. So I don't really know. I just always liked it. It's, it's kind of, um, I don't have to think when I um, when I'm playing music, so especially especially piano. I'm assuming the uh, those early songs that you did with that band were cover songs. Uh, uh, actually, not. We had a few originals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They Did were shit. <laughs> they were so shit. But <laughs> but but I think let's. The, the story of every young band, I think. Uh, of course, we, we were covering uh, things, um, but we, we had a few originals. Yeah, we had ambitions. And did you like the songs at the time, those originals? At the time? At the time? I, I thought this was the best, the best shit out there. <laughs> like these two or three songs we kept playing over and over again. Uh, it was just so much fun to, to have something that, that, that's your own. I mean, nowadays when we are rehearsing with the band and you just um, imagine you, you were in the studio recording the songs uh, and then you have to listen to the mixes uh, to check if everything's right, then it gets mastered, uh, then it gets uh, pressed on vinyl, CD, whatever, and it's out there. Um, you maybe produce a, a music video and so you have to, to listen to the song again and after that you're going on tour 
playing it again <laughs> and at some point you're like oh man i want to do something new but back in the day it was just awesome to have something that that was just yours nobody did this ever before it may sound like shit but it's ours <laughs> and so did the audience like it the uh coming in the audience did the crowd yeah, <laughs> yeah it was it was it was more like an early studio project okay. i guess gotcha. i mean we had we had people back in that in that room um of course it was forbidden to uh to smoke uh on the on the school area but uh we were the only ones having the key to that room and it was okay. um down down the hallway the last room so we were always uh, secretly smoking in there and sometimes we had a few <laughs> few people over that listened to us rehearse but we never actually made it to a stage where we could play or fill fill an evening with that uh mush yeah. that's what i was gonna ask because you know i was gonna ask if you performed for the school or any other areas no, 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 it sounds no, no, like it was no, just something you guys were kind of doing together no not, not in that position i um i used to play um some piano when there was like a a school fest or something but um not with that band nobody i think nobody would have liked that <laughs> it's just four teens making noise it was noise it was not really music it was just loud a 15 year old drama i mean how many are out there that are that are really good at 15 years old not many not many i mean there there's this um what's what's his name again the son of mike portnoy um i've always i'm always forgetting his, his uh, first name but he was a he was a, a decent drummer when he was 15 now i think he's turned 20 or 21 and now he's getting really good but to, to find a really good drummer when you're 15 doesn't happen sure. it always, it's just always like oh noise yeah <laughs> awesome uh. yeah so uh what happens uh next in your trajectory um then there was a a little musical downtime i think because um, i was uh wondering what i wanted to do with my i mean i always knew that i wanted to do music but i'm i wasn't sure if i wanted to make a living out of it so um i always liked writing and, and thinking about stuff so i'm I was thinking about getting a journalist, so I started studying politics actually, and uh, because I wanted to, uh, to get into uh, investigative uh, journalism. But uh, after I think it was six months, not that long, I uh, realized, okay, I'm not made for this. I'm definitely not made for all these guys sitting around here uh, um, learning always saying yes yes professor yes yes and i got so angry uh, that i picked up the guitar again and yeah the rest is kind of history so and that was the breaking point so from from there uh i will always choose to to make music will always choose that path yeah i said to myself at some point if you if you got to work like five days a week in a bar or at mcdonald's I don't care. I want to do that to be free to do music. Mm. Yeah. And so is this where, is this the beginnings of uh, Ripe and Ruin? 
or is this uh, not later? actually that that's uh that's probably one or two years later yeah okay so, so we, what was it what, what was it like then making that decision and kind of getting started with it where did you start um actually i started there's a a school here in hamburg which is called the school of music and it's a, a it's a private school actually um, because all the music schools in Germany, if they're um, uh, funded or if they're uh, yeah, funded by the state, they always um, teach classical music or jazz. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't really interested in that. And um, if you want a degree in, in pop music, rock music, blues music, you always have to uh, go to uh, a private school. And that's where I met the guys. And um, I think on the second day we started making music music together so yeah so how did that come about um <laughs> it was that was actually kind of funny because uh everyone's back in the days i mean we were like 21 22 whatever uh we we're still playing very shitty very very bad <laughs> <laughs> Com compared to today maybe in five years i'm gonna say oh man what what did i say back in that podcast uh, <laughs> i was still so shitty back in the day um but we were all not that good um and i met the the drummer uh Giannis. uh i met him first um back in the day i was still playing guitar nowadays i play bass so um still playing guitar and we were just jamming with the guitar and uh, and um, the drum kit and soon after um, I picked kind of picked the guitarist and we had like five or six guitarists in a in a year and he was um, I think technically he was the worst of them but <laughs> different to all the others they were like experts. Yeah, one one could play very um, was very a good blues player. He got that figured out, and the other one was uh, really good uh, with acoustic guitar. He could do this whole um, uh, what is his name again? Ben Harper. Uh, no, uh, John Butler. I mean John Butler. This whole acoustic, uh, just using the whole guitar, banging with your hand on on the on the corpus, whatever. Uh, he got that down and uh, Florian was just uh, sitting there producing noise but I was, I was uh, kind of used to it already so I like that and different to all the other guitar players he had this um, this fire because he always he knew that he wasn't the strongest player so that he had to work twice as hard as everybody else and this is a uh, this is something you cannot learn. You either you got it, you, you got the fire, you got this, I want this, I want this so much, or you don't. And out of these uh, five or six guitar players, he to this day is the only one who's still making music. Mm. All the other guys quit at some point, left the school, said, oh, I want to do something else. Guitar is cool, but mm, I don't know. Um, and so it was the best choice. Do you remember anything specific that you saw in him that led you to that realization about him? It was, yeah, it was this fire. It was this, this sheer will of not giving up. Yeah. 
I don't know if it was if it, it would if it was something special or if it was something that he said, but yeah, I, I just remember this feeling of of thinking that's that's the guy because that's something you cannot learn. Did this manifest itself mostly in his playing, or was it something that he said? No, it, it didn't. It didn't actually manifest in his playing for years, <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, it was, yeah, it was his attitude and the things that he was saying. He knew that he w wasn't at the time not a good uh, guitar player, but he wanted this so bad. And yeah, he did it. Yeah, so this is the origin then of Ripe and Ruin. Um, and so what happens next? I think um, next we started the band and the band consisted back in the days out of five people um i was playing guitar florian was playing guitar we had a third guitarist um no bass <laughs> uh a keyboarder and uh the drummer really really weird combination of people and we tried a lot of stuff tried more bluesy music tried funky music uh, we always said we don't want to construct something. We don't want to uh, say, okay, what do we want to write? What's, how do we want to sound? We never did that. We always tried stuff. Mm. Do we like that? Yes or no? Do we like that? Yes or no? But we never, um, yeah, we never got to the point where we would construct this whole thing. And so we tried out everything. Uh, and at some point, the piano player left and so we were just a bunch of guitarists uh, <laughs> and at that point I started picking up the bass because I said somebody has to do it and I'm probably the weakest guitar player of you all because the other two were um, natural born guitar players. They did their thing and uh, at that time I was already singing and it was just playing a little uh, rhythm guitar. So something you can skip. And so I picked up the bass and I, I think a year later, uh, the second guitarist uh, went. He had a kind of a mental breakdown and now he's um, studying uh, math and he's becoming a professor for math. So. Yeah, and that's where we started, I think, because that's that was the point where uh, to this day, these three people, um, yeah, that that was kind of the birth of the of the band as it is today, trying out a lot of things, um, all these people coming and going in and out of the band, and realizing uh, what's the core and what's really important, and who will never say, "Oh man, I don't feel like playing right now. Uh, can can we just rehearse tomorrow?" And it was always these, we three, these three guys that always said, oh, let's do it tomorrow. Uh, no, let's do it today and tomorrow. And the next day after that, let's work. Let's do something. Um, yeah. And so did this core group, Did as a group, did you have the goal at that point to try to make a living in the industry at this point? <sighs> um, that's a good question, actually. I... I have a weird, um, I have a weird attitude towards um, making a living out of art. I think when you, 
when you think that this has to pay off at some point, you're maybe asking too much of the art because then you're stopping to do it for the art and start to do it for the money. So that's a dangerous path, I think, to shift your mindset into this has to work financially. So I don't think I or we ever did that. Of course, we, we are working or we were working a lot of part-time jobs, working in a bar, um, giving lessons in all these instruments we've learned over the years. Um, but yeah, I don't think that you should do that. That's got to be a, a, a tricky tension, right? As you are getting more into doing it for a living. Yeah, yeah, it's a tricky tension. That, of course, right? of course, it's a tricky tension. And of course, we want to make a living out of it. And we are earning money. But um, it, it's, I think it just gets dangerous when this uh, comes, becomes your priority. And with art, that should never happen. That's because that's when the art gets shitty. I mean, listen to uh, a lot of second albums or uh, songs that got produced too fast because the, the, some, some manager or some producer said, come on, let's go. The first one worked, we need a follow-up now. Mm -hmm. And the artist isn't ready. The artist has nothing to write about. And you hear uh, a second album or a second song and are just, um, yeah, you're devastated because you, you, you love the first one. And now you're getting this and you, you can hear the, um, the struggle that, that it's not real. Yeah. And so the philosophy then would be make the art and then whatever happens, happens. Yeah, kind of. But as I said, I think that might be a weird uh, thing as an artist to say uh, that making money or I, I like to eat. So <laughs> it's, it is a necessity, yes. <laughs> it's a kind of, kind of a necessity. So it's, it's a weird thing to say that that should not be your priority. I mean, a lot of artists, artists are in general, I think, uh, underpaid. That's all over the world. There are few, of course, that earn a lot, an ass load of money. Um, but most artists are underpaid. We work um, a lot, really, really, really much, like rehearsing, writing songs, producing them on our own, um, all this thinking that, I mean, I'm working when I'm sitting on the couch and thinking that's kind of work and uh, it's something you can't turn off. It's, it's not like you work your shift and you're done. Um, it's just all the time. And so, yeah, we're, we're definitely underpaid, but if you want to make music or make art, that is not the point. This financial thing is not the point you don't decide to make art for the for the money most most of the times i think you decide to do this because you have to it's not um it's not really a choice and so your band at this point is well i guess i should ask is it starting to become successful at this point or does that take some time yeah, of course, um, it, it always takes uh, a lot of time and a lot of effort, but um, 
I think we're playing in this combination for roughly three years now uh, as a three-piece. And in this time, we, we did a lot of stuff. Uh, we released two EPs and an album, which is uh, for two and a half years. It's, it's a lot of songs. Um, we did a lot of shows and everything. Our, uh, our Spotify uh, game, as I would say, uh, is really running well. And we're getting a lot of positive feedback on it. So it's running really good. But 2020, uh, of course, it's a downer. It's, sure. uh, it's a bummer. <laughs> you, you have a new album out, you want to uh, present it, you want to uh, sell the records, you want to play, you want to get out there, you want to produce new stuff, and now you're stuck and don't know uh, when things will be back to normal again. Yeah. And I believe you had over a million streams. Uh, yeah, there, there was... Uh, Oh, oh, now I see a picture. Yeah, that was kind of the starting point. We um, uh, we recorded our first EP as a three-piece, not uh, expecting anything. And um, we did it in a small studio um, of a friend of ours. And um, after, I think we, we took like a week or something um, to record it. And after that, uh, we were all kind of pleased with it. I said, yeah, let's just go with uh, Clarity. Uh, let's just release it. And uh, I had a guy who um, is into, uh, into marketing and um, does a, a radio promotion. And he said, let me pitch it for you. I'll pitch it out to Spotify. Mm -hmm. um, but don't get your hopes up because it's uh, five minutes long. Uh, it has a huge intro. It's not going to happen. All the algorithmics uh, that can be wrong are wrong with this. Um, so I'll, I'll put it out for you, but don't get your hopes up. And the next day he calls me and, and said, guess what happened? Now guess what happened? And uh, yeah, we got on the cover of a, of a playlist here in Germany. And a few weeks after we got on the biggest uh, rock playlist on the cover in Germany. That's the small one. That was the first. Um, and a few weeks after that, we got the biggest um, Spotify playlist here in Germany for rock. And that was uh, that was that was a really great feeling. Not expecting anything, and getting way way more than you'd expected. Did you experience a greater amount of pressure after that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah because um, we caught ourselves uh, doing the exact thing I uh, just uh, said that, that mm -hmm. it's bad. We caught ourselves go doing, um, going like, yeah, we got to produce another one. We got to be fast now because mm -hmm. now people are interested in, they're into it now, let's, let's move on. And so we produced a second, uh, second EP very fast. I mean, I'm, I'm pleased with the, with the result, but maybe if we would have taken like half a year more of time, we would have uh, ended up with a different result. I mean, the second EP also um, had a lot of good reviews, went uh, on Spotify, on a lot of playlists and everything. Yeah. But I think we could have taken more time for that.
So were you touring before this hit so big? Um, I don't think you can call it touring. It was more like uh, over the weekends, a uh, few scattered gigs, um, not really touring. And then it's from hard to, to, um, to, to plan a tour when you're a small band. Because you can't really play on a uh, on a on a Thursday or uh, on a Wednesday in Cologne when you're from Hamburg and nobody knows you, so mm -hmm. you can't really do that. Yeah. So what happened after this exploded? Uh, we right after or yeah, after? right after. Because <laughs> right after we got really drunk <laughs> <laughs> and uh, celebrated like crazy. I remember that. I remember that hangover especially. <laughs> That was um, that was one in a million, and yeah, right after we we started working again, we were always very um, very straightforward, always working a lot. I, I think the last eight weeks were the first uh, eight weeks in a row that we haven't touched our instruments in six years or five or six years. Mm -hmm. It was the first time. Uh, uh, we started rehearsing again now, uh, last week, but these seven to eight weeks, yeah, was the first time we didn't, didn't really work. And I'm curious, do you write the lyrics? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you a student of philosophy? Do you read philosophers? Uh, I uh, used to, I used to. Now I'm uh, too busy writing songs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I read a lot of uh, philosophers. I, um, I think when I turned 15 or 16, my German teacher back in the days came to me and said, you've got to read uh, Hesse, Hermann Hesse, uh, Steppen, Steppen Wolf, I think it's called. Um, and after I read that book, I read every other book he had ever written. And then Nietzsche, Schopenhauer, some of the, the great uh, German philosophers, yeah. And did you feel that it influenced your writing at all? Actually, I don't think so. It influenced my way of thinking back in the days, but it didn't influence um, my writing. I think the lyrics are always dark, kind of. Um, because right now, I think one of the most important things that we are uh, facing as, uh, as human beings uh, is probably the, the dissonance of the modern world. Mm. Uh, we have such a, we're so disconnected, al although we're so much more connected than ever before, uh, there is a huge dissonance and a huge terror that we cannot really grasp. And there are a lot of things happening all over the world, and a lot of people are um, are feeling this. I think. I mean, if you if you look at, at things like depression, at the rate of how many people are depressed in uh, Western societies, um, I think it's it's astounding how um, how in a um, the level of uh, Oh, let me, <laughs> so many thoughts. Um, the amount of people and how this level has risen in the last decade or so. Yeah. And so I wanna uh, 
in, in a lot of songs, I want to address this from different points of view. Sometimes from my point of view, sometimes from a, a fictional point of view. It's interesting because you talked earlier about it sounds like originally you were very motivated by the enjoyment of music and playing and having mm -hmm. a band. And now it sounds like that motivation has shifted a little bit to really putting it and a, a, a important message out there. Um, do you remember the part where I uh, talked about this in investigative journalism? Mm -hmm. I still wanted to do that. Mm. I always wanted to write and um, I think when you're 14 or 15, everybody's an idealist. Like everybody thinks he can rescue the world, make it a better place. Um, I remember when I was eight years old, I was sitting down with some, uh, with some magnets and uh, trying to invent a machine that could solve the energy problems of the world. Uh, I had like two Lego magnets and uh, some, gl some glue and an ice cream stick or something. Didn't really work. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't save you. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, that, so that's a kind of the, uh, the child of these two worlds. I just like doing it, but um, I have a lot of issues that I want to address. Mm -hmm. So the, I was sorry, that was, uh, in case you're wondering, uh, obviously the lyrics of, like you said, most of your songs are pretty uh, in depth, but uh, this, particularly the song, Nothing, uh, struck me as yeah. potential philosophical. Yeah. So. yeah. That was uh, that was a bad day. <laughs> yeah, they are the good ones, and then there are the bad ones, and then there are these ones. Yeah, I just blanked yeah, on. The, I, uh, sorry, I just blanked on the author's name, but there's a book called "The Birth and Death of Meaning." Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if it struck a chord with me because I already thought the way that the writer of that book felt, or if that. I was young when I read it as well, and I don't know if I influenced uh, or it influenced my thinking or if I actually were, was just drawn to it because of the way that I already was thinking, but it kind of mm. struck me as the similar theme. Yeah, yeah, it is. I haven't read the book, but um, I guess so, yeah. Cool. Um, and so at this point, you're, the momentum's building, um, and it looks like they also sent a pic where you were at a festival. Yeah, it's one of a... Um, I think one of the, the biggest festivals in Germany. It's a, a South Side festival. Uh, it has a partner uh, which is called the Hurricane Festival. I think this this one you might know. It's uh, the same festival, Hurricane and South Side. They have the same uh, lineup, but the Hurricane is in the north, and the South Side is um, in the south. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Uh, we. Um, Due, due to the uh, this um, whole Spotify thing, we got uh, together with a booking agency mm -hmm. and they contacted us and wanted to see us live. And so we played uh, down in, I think it was Cologne, Hanover. I don't remember, but they, they came to our gig and really liked what we were, uh, what we were doing. And so they uh, told us that they wanted to work with us, and they booked this gig and uh, it was uh, amazing. Big stages. It was the main stage of the festival. And that was just really, really fun. 
And so what was uh, going through your mind as you stepped out onto the stage? Uh, not much. I remember, I remember uh, a few years back, we had a huge gig. It was one of our first gigs and we were playing in front of a thousand, a thousand people. Uh, a friend of mine uh, back in the days asked me if I wanted to uh, play uh, before uh, his band, her band, uh, and we said yes. And um, there I was so nervous. And when I came off the stage, I uh, instantly puked because I was, sh I was shaking all over, the, uh, which is, it was just too much. But in this particular case, um, I don't think that I thought much, just went out there. I think every every one of us did did it that way. Normally, we talk a lot, we um, joke a lot, we fool around, and uh, till the very uh, till seconds before the show, and then we go on and do our noise. But in that particular case, we were all really um, really concentrated and not really talking much, just going out there, not thinking, just do your thing. Yeah, it was did a great gig. Did, so did that have an impact on your uh, performance that day or? I think so, yeah, because uh, when, you, when you start thinking you, and um, thinking in a, in, a, in a situation of pressure, you start to overthink very fast. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge enemy when you're playing music, huge enemy. Because in that moment when you just want to pour out, all these things, um, when you're singing, when you're playing, you, you're just pouring it out. And when there are other thoughts going through your mind, it's always distracting. Mm -hmm. and so it's it's probably the best the best mood you can be in when you're going on a stage and playing in front of a lot of people is to be empty and just to be ready and pour yourself out. Yeah. Um, so are the plans to just pick up where you left off whenever everything opens back up again to support your new album and things like that? Actually not. Um, we're uh, writing on a new one right now. So we're not picking up where we left because um, I think this, this is such a, a strange and interesting, also an interesting time uh, for artists. Um, you might have noticed that we, other than a lot of other artists, uh, didn't do a live stream or a live session or a sofa concert or um, meet me in my shower with the guitar. Please, don't, <laughs> please, please do not forget me. Um, that's actually a point where, where it kind of bothers me because um, I think a lot of people are missing the chance while doing this, um, scared of being forgotten, that they, they, they're missing the chance of feeling this situation and uh, to reflect what it's doing to themselves to be uh, quarantined for eight weeks, not to be able to see their family, to be in, in solitude maybe. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're so busy doing all this, um, everything back to normal stuff, you might miss out on something. I mean, it's not that these might be good feelings, uh, cannot recommend them at all but they're real and a lot of people have them so what we are doing at the moment is um searching this inspiration taking this 
and putting it into new songs not really about the, the there won't be a song a single song that's especially about a virus or especially about solitude but um this goes a little further more like this this whole thing yeah so what do you find particularly uh challenging about what you do right now or in general uh, as a musician in general to let go definitely to let go not only to let go um of thoughts as i said earlier to be in this perfect state of um enlightenment when you're going on the stage and you're just empty and can just perform um but to let go of your own things it has, has a lot to do with ego when i write a song when when i write lyrics and um we already had a song instrumentally so we were already playing this and uh, i came up with the text this moment to show it to the guys i mean i've known them for years now but it's always hard because it's something that comes from deep within sometimes and uh, it's hard to let go not only in front of these guys but in front of other people and um because this this will always happen when you do arts or do anything in in front of people people will judge and that's their right to do they can say i i love it or i hate it and you suck and please don't do this ever again to my ears <laughs> they're allowed to do that but it's it it will always be hard i think for artists to to um break down these walls yeah so what is more difficult for you personally the the ones that really like it or the ones that dislike it um <laughs> that's a good question though um actually i'm not bothered by the ones that dislike it because i uh, i'm always coming up with a good comeback um because most of the times these people just want to get some steam off uh, they're they're pissed off because their boss told them that i don't know whatever <laughs> it's it's always it's it's not coming it's it's not my fault that they are angry mm. that's i think that's a point where you got to come to when um when you doing this um i think i would answer and that sounds weird i think it's harder when people really really love it because that sometimes it creeps me out <laughs> like because sometimes sometimes i think to myself i didn't even like it <laughs> <laughs> at least why, as much as they did <laughs> why should, why should you why why should you like this it's it's a horrible text and it's really loud and i'm screaming why are you liking this I, i'm i'm just doing to to get it to get it out of my system it's like uh, it's like i'm puking actually uh, just sometimes it has to has to get out and yeah that that from time to time is kind of creepy and is that just has to get out does that occur at the level of writing it or performing it or both um writing always performing sometimes and that might be the best performances mm. you i i think i've never had an evening where i could um channel this feeling man i sound like a 
like a like a guru or something <laughs> channel the feeling where you could channel this where, where i could channel this feeling for a whole evening but i um experienced it for like over um two songs or three songs where you're so into it that this whole feeling and everything fits perfectly together it it isn't only the music it's the people it's um the air it's the moisture it's how things sound, how you're feeling, what you've eaten three days earlier. It, everything has to be perfect to, to be in that, yeah, in that moment. So what would you consider the keys to your success? Not um, thinking about money is one, one thing. Not thinking about how we want to sound. I, I know a lot of musicians and I know a lot of bands and, and a lot of them, of course, we're, we have inspirations. Of course, we're not um, doing a thing that has never been, we're not Kraftwerk and we're definitely not, uh, I don't know, we're not, we're not creating something new, but we're creating something honest. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what a lot of people lack, I think. A lot of people I know always ask the question first, how do we want to sound? What do we want to do? Instead of just doing it and afterwards checking, is that something that we can do? And we never did that. And so on that level, it's, it's honest. And I think that that might, that might be a key to success, to be honest about what you're doing. It's interesting because so what I do for a profession largely focuses on helping teams and, and companies and organizations with culture. And one of the first things you get them to think about is their core values and how that is going to uh, drive everything that they do and who they are and what's important yeah. to them and how they make decisions. It sounds yeah. like as a band, you very much have that kind yeah. of a core focus and, and value that drives what you yeah. do. Yeah. That was uh, something we we said to ourselves right from the start. Mm -hmm. That was one thing that was really clear. I mean, we're not sure if we uh, won't make a, a reggae album in, in two years. We're not sure if we're into if we're super into reggae in two years. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> and that's our new thing. I'm reggae Gordon now. Um, <laughs> then so be it. So be it. Uh, we're not thinking about that, um, but more about if it's if it's real at the moment. It sounds like you have a very collaborative and kind of democratic approach to the band. Is that true? Yeah, I, I like um, them to think that way. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. No, no. We we have a democratic approach, definitely. Um, in the end, I, I always try, well, not in the end, I always try, that sounds too hard. Uh, sometimes I, um, I might be a little manipulative. So, um, <laughs> yeah, when it, comes to, when it comes to certain parts and you wrote a text and you really want to be, uh, you really want to sing that one word on uh, a special note and you really hear it in your head and then the, the drums have to go like, like this and you you just know it and um florian on the guitar says yeah but i like this guitar part it's so cool 
um, just thinking about the guitar and not thinking about the whole thing in, in that moment. And stuff. But mostly it's very democratic. Yeah. And so I want to step back um, just one moment. You talked about being really mindful of not planning too much um, and you described that a little bit. Um, does that feed into your disdain for the hype, as you call it, um, on your website? <laughs> uh, uh, Strong disdain. Yeah, I don't know that this. You mean? Uh, can I can I say fuck in here? Sure. Yeah. You mean you mean this fuck the fuck the hype, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no, that's. Yeah, it kind of has to do something with it because the hype is always. Um, we imagine it like like simple pop music, you know, mm -hmm. like just simple things that are out there uh, that are just like like fast food music. People keep listening to it, and we don't know why. Mm -hmm. And it's always some some hype behind it. Yeah, you know? like uh, I, I've never I've never really liked uh, Katy Perry's music. For example, never liked it. She she doesn't sing about um, uh, interesting topics. Uh, the music itself isn't that good. When you're uh, when you ever visited a studio and know how uh, these sounds and these songs can be produced so easily, when there are not um, a lot of real instruments involved, and how fast things can go, and how little love is required to put out a product like this, you start to kind of get angry about the resonance that it gets. Because you're always thinking, damn, are you all dense? What is, what is happening here? And so we said, yeah, fuck the hype. And of course, uh, it's uh, also to maybe at some point um, remember, uh, remind us of our, our, our own roots, not to give in. And so I think it... This does tell nicely with the next question. What have you learned about yourself throughout your journey? A lot. I don't actually like um, to be touring that I've learned. Um, I really like making music. I love writing songs. I love to rehearse. I love playing concerts, but I don't like touring. And that's because everybody keeps saying, oh man, it, it must be so so nice you see a lot of people you see different places uh you travel a lot and i think um, and, and i always say no that's just not true i don't see uh, different places i see uh, restrooms a lot of restrooms um different varieties of burger king and uh, the venues so you don't get to see much of the city and um the culture and the people you never get there. You you see the, the the sound guy, and that most of the time that's a mean old man uh, that doesn't want you to be there because that's just how sound guys are. I don't know. Uh, they're always a little weird, and um, yeah, then you pack your shit on the stage, play, and get your ass out there. So it's not that uh, it's not that great. And you spend a lot of hours in the car. I mean, in the U.S., it's way worse. It's way worse. Here, we got to um, drive maybe like four or five hours from gig to gig. But in the U.S., 
as I heard, we we um, last year we um, played as a support for uh, a lot of U.S. bands like um, Goodbye June and um, what's the name of the other band again? I forgot. Whatever. But they told us that they were um, from time to time having rides for eleven hours or twelve hours just to get to the next gig, and so yeah. So I'm assuming that, that I learned. That I learned. Yeah. No, no fast food and no touring. <laughs> These two things. Do you feel that you've made any sacrifices? Um, on tour or in the last years in general? <laughs> uh, it's a good follow-up. Um, just to become the musician that you wanted to be. Um, no, not really. Actually, I think I lost a girlfriend on the way because our paths were just um yeah we're just parting she wanted to do something different and i was getting more and more into this whole musician thing was practicing a lot was rehearsing a lot didn't have time and when i was home um i was always i was still thinking working on stuff and not really being there for her so that might have been that might have been something that happened. So, yeah, but but not really. Um, I think it doesn't. If you're doing it right, it doesn't take much effort to be yourself, right? Right. Um, so, have you ever? You know the phrase "fake it till you make it." Have you ever felt like, it's particularly in the early days, that you were faking <laughs> anything? Not really. No, no. It, it was already from the start. We we didn't uh, expect much and got a lot. Uh, um, haven't thought about it yet. I mean, I know the um, I know the phrase, but we haven't thought about. It. I I don't know how. I, I wouldn't know how. What what could we do? Can you give me some tips. I mean, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm open for anything. Sure. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have none. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So, what advice would you give an aspiring musician? Uh, practice. Just don't give up. If you really want to do, ask yourself the question if you really want to do it or if it's just something you like. I think there's a, a major difference between entertainers and artists. Mm. Ask yourself if you're an entertainer. And because when you're an entertainer, you, you can always do it. You can play at, at weddings, at funerals, at parties, at uh, nightclubs, whatever. And if that's your thing, if that's really what you want to do for the rest of your life, um, I can't imagine anyone really wanting to be um, playing funerals and, and weddings for the rest of their life. It's, it's nice from time to time they have the money, but um, I did that back in the days, but not anymore. Um, yeah, ask yourself if you're an artist and if you have a choice, because if, if you have something to say, then you probably don't have a choice. You have to do it uh, either way. Yeah. Just don't be, just don't, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared to fail. Brings us to a question that we ask everybody. So Kevin and I met studying expert performance um, and 
really got interested then because of that, of this question of nature versus nurture. And are we kind of born to do things? Uh, and in the music you know, world, that's born with talent, as you've mentioned a few times, mm -hmm. um, or do, does the environment or things like that uh, play a role? So if you had to kind of say a percentage for each, this nature versus nurture piece, what are your thoughts on that? Actually, I've thought about this a lot in my life because my, um, my mother has a huge family and a lot of brothers and all of these brothers are artists in some kind of way. They're mm. musicians, they're uh, painters, um, sculptors, whatever. It's all, um, all do some kind of art. And um, when I remember or when I think um, of the time where I started to play piano and it sounds like a weird story when a four-year-old boy wants to play the piano by himself so I thought about this a lot if it if I had a choice mm -hmm. or if it's just somewhere in the blood I don't know uh, probably I would say right now 50-50 I mean, I know that's a boring answer, but <laughs> yeah, I could say something like 90-10, but yeah. No, I, I think it's 50-50. I had the luck to have the right environment, um, but I also had the, the given drive uh, from birth to wanting to do that. Anything that we haven't talked about that you feel is important to share? um yeah i'm starting to bake now <laughs> <laughs> what I are did, you baking did, everybody who says they're baking <laughs> yeah yeah i uh really struggled with my first bread i made a sourdough <laughs> and it it's not working it's just not made for me yeah. i mean i love i love cooking but i'm really bad at baking i re i'm just can't get it right to get something forget the yeast and forget the salt and it tastes like, <laughs> tastes like a cracker it's, it's just it's just a mess and i want to i wanted to talk about this for a moment yeah sure. I, I had to get i had to get this out of my system <laughs> now the world knows i'm a shitty baker <laughs> well hang in there you'll get it'll come around uh, yeah I, I, I stopped for the moment the, the project is on hold right now yeah i've done some uh, beer brewing and oh, they could oh, nice. they could call that cleaning instead of brewing if you truly <laughs> it's a lot of cleaning. <laughs> so, um, so what's yeah. the biggest takeaway from your story? Huh. All right. That's a very good question. The biggest, the biggest thing from my question uh, from my story. Hmm. Hmm. I think what always got me through everything because. There were times when it definitely wasn't easy because money was very tight, um, not earning a lot, had to practice a lot, living in a small, very small flat. It was uh, just a mess, everything. But the one thing that always got me through was uh, that I was never scared because I took a choice when I said I wanted to do this and maybe I'll end up poor but as long as I can do this, and that's what I love, I can never be unhappy. I can never be, um, it's, it can never get worse. 
than this right now. It can only get better. And so that's what uh, I think a lot of artists know this feeling. That's where you start to get free in, in this moment. When, when you stop being scared and stop, when, when you start doing it for yourself and not for other people. I mean, uh, I think the pressure from parents or friends is, um, is huge in some people. Uh, when, when your father says you're a disgrace, son, for doing music, uh, when I was your age, you were already born and I had a house, something like that. That's a common story. And to get rid of that fear uh, is always a good choice. And that's what has helped me the most to free myself and, yeah, to just follow my path. Nice. Uh, well, Gordon, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, we loved you hearing your story. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. The Path to Tilt is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path to Stilled, all rights reserved.